Our scripture reading this morning is found in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 12. You'll find that in your pew Bible in page 1009. It's page 1009 in the pew Bible. Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. I'll be reading from the King James Version. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving in the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality, bless them that persecute you, bless and curse not, rejoice with them, rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of sure mind one towards another. Mind not high things, but consent to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide honest, provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, Avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will, pray, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us this morning. It's that time of year. It's the time where we'll be going over to families' homes, and families will probably be coming to our home. And that makes us pause to think about how should we interact with our family? And really, do we have any spiritual obligation to God by the way that we do interact with our family? And we know that family interaction is not always easy. There was an efficiency expert that he would go around speaking to corporations and, of course, teaching them how to improve the bottom line because when employees are more efficient, the production goes up and the cost goes down. And so he was in high demand, and as he went about and, and making his presentation, one time during question and answer, someone said, hey, he said, now these th same things would work for us at home, right? And kind of blushed and embarrassed, he said, no. He said, I advise that you not take anything that we've learned today and apply it to your home. Well, that provoked more questions. Why wouldn't you want to be efficient at home? He said, well, let me give you an example of what I mean. He said, being that I do this all over the country, he said, I decided I would go to the breakfast table early one morning and I would just try to help my wife be a better wife. And he said, so I just watched her for the 20 minutes that it took her to prepare breakfast. I counted the trips that she went from the kitchen uh, table to the refrigerator to the cabinets and over the stove. She made more than 20 trips. Most of the time she only had one item in her hand. When breakfast was served and we sat down and began eating together, I said, honey, I want to tell you a way that you could really improve the efficiency of preparing breakfast. 
said, yeah, I, I noticed that the 20 trips that you made between these destinations, most of the time only one thing was in your hand. And so if you could just try to always make sure that you had something in each hand, you would cut those number of trips in half, probably cutting down the time that he would, it would require to prepare breakfast. Well, those asking the question says, well, that sounds like that worked great. Said, efficiency improved, didn't it? And he said, oh, yeah, it improved. He said, what took her 20 minutes to prepare now only takes me seven. <laughs> now, when we think about the reality that we will interact probably more with our families and extended families more over these next few weeks than usually any other time of the year. For some of you, that immediately stirs a warm feeling inside and you think about those family get-togethers that you love when you go and, and you love the fact as you're returning home that you went. But there would be others in this same audience that when we talk about a family get-together, it stirs conflict. And it stirs a feeling of stress. And it stirs almost something to dread. This morning and even tonight, we'll continue with this same lesson. And then later on, the one that was on the bulletin for tonight, we'll do at a different date. But today, I want us to think about something that, that it should challenge us. And that is, if we look at family time as something positive, let's make sure that we're giving to our family what God would expect us to give. But if we look at our family as something to dread and, and we hate those get-togethers because there's always times of conflict, I don't suggest to you that you can change your entire family. Please understand that from the beginning of this lesson. But I do offer to you from the Scriptures that whenever we become Christians, we become a new creation. We are to change. And so we have a responsibility in our family to allow our family to see what it's like to live and to interact with someone that is a faithful child of God. And in that sense, over time, we can have a good and a positive influence even upon families that carry great stress in the times that they get together. You see, the bottom line of today's study is to challenge you and I to go into these next couple of weeks determined that we will be faithful to God in the way that we interact with our families. Now, the Scripture text that's been so capably read for us is really, if you will, it's the meat of the lessons today. And I'd like for us to spend some time this morning introducing this passage. And if you have your Bible still open, we're going to be looking at Romans, the 12th chapter, a few verses earlier as we work our way to that text. And we're going to begin at verse 1 and 2. As we do this, I want to remind you of the fact that Romans 12 is one of the most practical writings in all of the book of Romans. It's almost like taking a piece of Proverbs and just sticking it right there toward the end of, in the book of Romans. It's really a neat read. It helps us with day-in and day-out events in the lives of our relationships. I want to make sure that I'm perfectly fair with the text as I say this to you. This is a text where God wrote to help us learn how to deal with our relationships with the church family. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to take some principles where God said, if you'll do these things in dealing with your church family, things are going to be better for you and for the church. But those same principles are accurate whenever we say we can take these things and we can apply them to our physical family and those same principles will make us and become a blessing to our family. 
Let's look at Romans in the 12th chapter as we consider how Paul would introduce this very practical chapter. He begins by saying in Romans 12 and 1, I beseech you, I beg you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now I want you to think about the days where they took their very best lamb and they offered that to God. It was a sacrifice. They sacrificed the best of their flock and they gave it to God. Whenever they would have harvest time, they would sacrifice the first and the best of the harvest and they would give it back to God. God, do we offer any kind of sacrifice to you today? Or just a few moments ago, we gave of our means financially. That's one way we sacrifice, but God says, I have another way that I want you to sacrifice. It's not a dead sacrifice this time. I want you to take your life and I want you to sacrifice your life to me. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be interacting with our families. Where our life, the way we interact with our families, will it be a living sacrifice to God? Now note that. That's why we treat each other the way we should treat each other. It's not about our relationship with each other. It's about our relationship with God. And so here he speaks in the first chapter about presenting our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now let's pause right here for just a moment. Someone says, Preacher, maybe it's easy for you to talk about that lesson today because maybe your family's different from my family. You don't understand the abuse and neglect that went on in my family whenever we were young. You don't understand the fights and the conflict that's gone on for years. No one, no one should have to treat my family in a godly fashion. And you know what the Lord would say? The Lord would say is, I want you to do it for a sacrifice to me. And it is your reasonable service. In other words, God teaches us, if I can forgive you, you can forgive others. And He also teaches us, if you can't forgive others, I won't forgive you. And so it is. The challenge is laid out before us as we think about what are we going to do over these next few weeks? How are we going to interact with family? Well, I'm still holding that grudge from a, a distant relative, and I'm going to see them this next week. Friends, it's time we forgive. And it's time we say, I'm not doing it because of whom they are. I'm doing it because of my God. And because I'm giving God a living sacrifice. It's my life, and I'm going to lay it out before Him as He desires. Now notice this re the rest as we go to verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Yes, we're going to be different. Our old way, we would have held those grudges. Our old way, we would have spoken with disrespect. Our old way, we would have stirred up the old closet of bones. But something has changed. We're not the old way. We're not like the world anymore. What's happened? Now we're transformed. We've become something new because of Christ. Now note the rest of this. We've been transformed how? By the renewing of the mind. That's where long and lasting change begins. It begins in the mind. Many of us are going to be setting New Year's resolutions, and I encourage you over the next few days and weeks to be thinking about what are your New Year's resolutions going to be, because all of us have room to grow. I challenge you here now, don't just think about the actions, because that's hollow. It will never last. Think about the inner person. 
What can you do to strengthen the inner person? What can you do to strengthen your relationship with God? Because when we renew the mind, we produce a beautiful and a lasting change in life. And so the Lord here is saying, I want to see lives that are living sacrifice. I want to see individuals that are going to no longer be conformed to the world, but they're going to be transformed. How, Lord? By the renewing of your mind. Now notice the rest of verse 2. We're going to prove something here. That we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The way you interact with your family, is it proof that God's will is being lived? Can your family members look at you and say, you know, he or she is a Christian. And I don't know a lot about Christianity, but I know this, that's a good way to live because I see the way they interact with family. I know this, it's an acceptable way to live. I see the way they interact with family. It's a complete, it's a perfect way to live. Does our life prove that God's way is really good, is acceptable, and is perfect? That's the challenge that lies before us as we give a quick review of these two verses. Notice this next slide. What we've looked at is the need for our life to be a living sacrifice. Over these next couple of weeks, as we interact with family, let's ask ourselves, is my life a living sacrifice before my family? Has my life been transformed into something new? Has my mind been renewed by the power of God? And does my life prove, prove that God's will is good? That's acceptable. And that it's a perfect or complete way to live. For the rest of the day, let's look at four key points. We'll look at one or two, and then we'll close out. And tonight we'll come back and look at the other two. Drop down a verse and look with me, if you will, to the third chapter, uh, third verse in Romans, the 12th chapter, verse 3. Notice the humility that is spoken of as we read verse 3. He says, For I say, through the grace given to me, now notice that. That's the only way Paul could speak. Paul knew the only way he could be saved was by grace. He knew the only way that he had the opportunity to be a minister, to be an apostle, was by the grace of God. He never forgot the fact that God saved him and that he owed it all to God. And so now as he's going to challenge these individuals how they would view each other, he's going to begin with that aspect of grace. In verse 3, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, there's none of us that are an exception to this challenge, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Not to think of ourselves too highly. Now, the following verses, which we will not study this morning, but it would help us to, to understand this passage better. The following verses, he talks about how we each one have various abilities. It's a very similar or a sister passage to 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, where the body of Christ is one, but we are many members and we have different abilities. But we ought to love and appreciate each other's abilities because when we come together as a whole, we contribute to the greater cause. So God has made us different and it's a blessing. And that's a similar teaching here in the following verses of Romans 12. So what is he saying here in verse 3? He's introducing the fact that we are different by saying, now, let's love each other and let's esteem each other in spite of our differences. 
Let's value and appreciate each other. There's some family that's harder to love than other family. That's a fair statement. How are we going to love both? We love them when we see ourselves for who we are. The only reason we have any hope is because of the grace of God, not because of our own goodness. One individual has given this quote. Look to the next slide. To himself, every man is in a sense the most important person in the world. And he always needs much grace to see what other people are and to keep a sense of moral proportion. In other words, the author of this quote is saying, we all struggle with this. We struggle with believing that we're number one. I'm just a little bit more important than other people in my family. I'm just a little bit more important than the other people of this congregation. I'm just a little bit more important than the other people at my work or in my class. I can't help it. That's just the way I am. I'm a little bit better. I'm a little bit more important. Friends, that's Satan in our ear. That's Satan trying to convince us that pride and arrogance is the way to live. And Paul writes here in Romans, the 12th chapter, about daily practical living and his first plea. Once he's laid the groundwork of a sacrifice, his first plea is, let's exalt each other. Let's be humble in our relationship with each other. Now, as we look at this next slide, I'd like for you to consider this thought with me. What would you be without grace? Be lost? Hopeless? No peace that passes understanding? All of the real blessings that you and I enjoy in life, we enjoy them because of God. Family members that we have that do not enjoy those things, the difference is the absence of God. That's not anything for you and I to gloat about. That's not anything for us to to pull our shoulders back and say, wow, I'm glad I'm the best one in this family. That's something for us to hit the floor on our knees and pray about. Lord, how is it that I can interact with this family over the next couple of weeks in a way to impress upon them and to encourage them of their worth and how much God loves them and how valuable they are in the sight of God? God, what is it that I can do to help them see and obtain the benefits that you have given to me? You see, I know this isn't true in all family struggles, so Please understand that. I understand this isn't true in all family struggles. But it would be worth it for us to consider this. It may not be them. It may be you. If we have really convinced ourselves that we are the better one, what does pride and arrogance always see? Note these two things. Pride and arrogance always sees the faults in others and never sees their own faults. How can you get along with someone that believes they have no wrong and all they can do is concentrate upon the wrong that's in your life? You say, well, you can't get along with people like that. That's right. That's a difficult relationship. And so it may be that if I'm dreading getting together with family that has so many struggles and they just do everything wrong, 
And that's my mindset. I'm the only one in the family that's a decent person. It could be that pride and arrogance has convinced me to look down upon them and everything and to stop serving them. And I've stopped loving them because their flaws are magnified and I've convinced myself that I have none. Look with me, if you will, to Philippians, the second chapter. Let's look at this passage just real quickly. Philippians, the second chapter, one of the best passages of humility and relationships that's in the Bible because it's talking about Christ and His humility and His relationship with others. And so let's look at this. Philippians, the second chapter, we're going to look at 3, 4, and 5, just picking up in the middle here of a paragraph. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. And again, I ask you, how are you going to enter into your family gatherings? Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, that's humility, let each esteem others better than himself. That's giving honor to the other person. What's going to be the result of this? Or or in other words, how do we do this? Look to verse 4. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind, in other words, he says this is a mindset that we have. Let this mind be in you What mind was it? Which was also in Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful passage that challenges us. When we get together for the holidays, does it have to be your way? Mothers and grandmothers, let me step on your toes for a minute. Does it have to be your way? No, you're going to come to our house and it's going to be our traditions and our ways and that's the way we've done it for 15 years and it doesn't matter if it ruins everybody else's family to get here, we're going to do it my way. That's wrong. Change. Be converted. Don't be conformed to that old way. Be a new creature. What do new creatures say? New creatures say, how is it we can best serve you? We love you. We don't want to make your life hard. We want to work things out. Do we need to move that to the evening instead of the morning? Do we need to do that on Friday instead of Saturday? Why is it that some people can come across as so religious and so Christ-like except when it comes to their own family? And then it's, hey, I'm selfish. It's me. It's all about me. The family's going to get together at Christmas. And it's all about me. Paul writes and says, let's be about Christ. Let's have a mind of Christ. Let's not have selfish ambition. It's not all about me. What? Esteem others higher than yourself. And then I love this part. I don't do so well at this part, but I'm working on it. I promise you, this verse goes through my mind many, many times, probably a week. Lord, how is it that I can esteem others? And he says, have interest in other people's interests. When you get together, are you going to talk about what you've done all year with your family? And you're going to talk about what you are doing right now? And are you going to talk about what you're going to do in 2006? And when somebody tells a story, are are you going to give your one-up version of that story? Are we going to be more like Christ that says, I have a genuine interest in you. How's your year been? How's your month? Hey, I know you struggled this year with this loss. How how are you? 
all of us, many of us, could probably say, when I was a kid, I remember Uncle so-and-so because he always talked to us when the other uncles and aunts didn't. What was Uncle so-and-so doing? He was showing an interest. It's that simple. He had an interest in the life, in your life. And that's why we love Uncle so-and-so. That's why Cousin so-and-so is one of our favorite cousins. They've always shown an interest in our life. I want to challenge you. Even if you come from a good family and you love your family get-togethers, or even if you come from a family that struggles to keep peace, let's go into our next family get-together and let's be determined to learn something about each family member that's taken place over the last few weeks and months. Let's review ourselves when we're driving our car away from there. Let's review ourselves and say, now, did, did I get that done? Did I learn something about each one of them? Because I truly care about them. And I want an interest in their life. That's a powerful challenge, but it can't be summed up with any more power when he sums it up by saying that that is the mind of Christ. I thank God that Christ had my interest in mind. And surely you can say the same thing. If Christ would have come to this earth for selfish ambition, none of us would have hope. Relationships are changed. Relationships are strengthened. Relationships are genuine whenever we truly have the interest of others at heart and mind. Let's close at this point, and that'll be a perfect closing for us to pick up tonight. And we'll look at, at three other principles of our spiritual integrity and of our, our family love and of how to deal when family mistreats us in a peaceful fashion. Let's come back tonight and let's look at those things. But let's extend an invitation now based off of that thought. Christ interest was you. He hung on the cross for the whole world, but He values each soul more than the world. So this morning, if you've never been a child of God, there's a Father in heaven that loves you, He created you, He sent His Son to die for you, and He wants you to believe that His Son is the Savior of the world. He wants you to be willing to repent and no longer be conformed by the world, but to be transformed into something new. He wants you to not be ashamed, but to be willing to confess before men that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and He wants you to be baptized into His Son for the remission of sins so that we can rise to live as a new creation. Maybe this morning you have been baptized into Christ and you've made that part of your spiritual journey, but yet you evaluate your life now and you see that relationships have not been what they ought to be. And you know this. You know you want to go back to having your life being a living sacrifice every day, day in and day out. There's not a, per a perfect person here. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But we all can be forgiven by His grace, by His goodness. We all can deal better with our family this year than we did last year. That's spiritual growth. The Lord gives us opportunities to repent and confess sin and pray forgiveness. 
this morning, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.